Today, we've got a first-time guest who I think is probably top five in the world these days as far as actionable Amazon strategies, and she's going to give us an absolutely value-packed episode full of tips on generative AI, PPC, and more. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. How can you get more buyers to leave you Amazon product reviews? By following up with them in a way that's compliant with Amazon terms of service. You can use Helium 10 follow-up in order to automatically send out Amazon's request a review emails to any customers you want. Not just that, but you can specify when they get the message and even filter out people that you don't want to get that message, such as people who have asked for refunds or maybe ones that you gave discounts to. For more information, visit h10.me forward slash follow up. You can sign up for a free account or you can sign up for a platinum plan and get 10% off for life by using the discount code SSP10. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. We've got a special guest today, Ritu, Ritu, Sashiburi this. <laughs> like, so first of all, we're going to get into your backstory about how we can even talk in Japanese because that's, uh, that's something that's, that's crazy. Were you born in Japan or where were you born? I, I was born in India, uh, but okay. I lived in Japan for 17 years. And, 17 uh, years. Yeah. So 17. when you, from what age? Uh, you want to know how old I am? <laughs> no, no, no. From what age were you living in Japan? Um, uh, mid twenties. Uh, yeah, so mid twenties. Also, was so you didn't go to school uh, in Japan. No, I didn't. Uh, I went there as an adult. I was working at a company, uh, an oh, IT company. Wait, seven, seventeen years. Yes. That means you had to have gone there when you were a child, then, because you know you can't be over twenty five years old. So I don't know what's going on uh, here. That is very cute, kawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I was all well, the reason I was asking if you grew up because I was I wore this shirt today. Do you recognize yes. this this uh, character here? Doraemon. What is this? Tell everybody. Yes. Doraemon. Yes, I no, grew up with Doraemon when I was oh a little over there. So, yeah, there we yeah. Go. that's awesome. <laughs> I, I see. Uh, I like you know. I knew a little bit about you, but like I, yeah. I, I for some reason had this idea that that you actually uh, grew up in in Japan, and that was why you were so uh, fluent in the language. Mm. You know, once you go as an adult, it, it's a little bit harder. You know, unless yes. you really immerse yourself, um, you know, yeah. in a culture. I, I did. Um, I really immersed myself in the culture. Like I went there just for a year, honestly, and uh, ended up staying 17. It's so crazy, like how huh. that place had such a big impact on me. Uh, it it was such a you know stark contrast to where I grew up, which was India. Uh, the land where, whereabouts of, in India? In Delhi, uh, the, okay. the the capital city of chaos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, is how I describe it. So yeah, from chaotic to super orderly, like you can imagine what a difference that is, like a stark yeah. difference from oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah. You know, the world I knew. Um, and I was, um, I, I, I was just drawn to, to the, um, 
to the the calm and the the, the kind of orderliness of that place, how things were punctual, uh, everything happened uh, as expected, there were no surprises, everything was like planned in so much detail, uh, which I kind of liked. Um, and I think where I'm at right now is uh, a nice middle ground uh, because I think I like the chaos. <laughs> it has energy, right? It has a certain type of progressive energy that uh, all of us need, especially as entrepreneurs. We need mm-hmm. that energy to be able to kind of keep moving forward. Uh, but then I also like the uh, organizational skills that I picked up while I was in Japan because you need that to have good execution, right? So I think uh, best of both worlds is what I'm trying to uh, be at right now. <laughs> I'm trying to draw from both my cultures. Now, now, did you go to university in India? I did. Yeah, I, I'm an engineer. What you I did my yeah, I did my electronics engineering from India, uh, and then I uh, I actually did um, another. I went back to school uh, much later in life. Uh, I went back to school in uh, in the U.S. Uh, and I did a course in data science, uh, which is why I kind of. Um, I'm very attracted to PPC and data and data analytics and that sort of stuff. When you graduated with the electrical engineering degree, did you start working in India or is that when you went to Japan or? Yeah, I started working right away and uh, I started working in India and uh, I worked for an IT company Uh, and, you know, it was a pretty long stint there as well. Like I was um, uh, very interested in, um, uh, technology right from the start and uh, it kind of aligned with my my life's goals and stuff like that at the time uh, I mean I didn't I, I mean little did I know that I would completely switch at a certain point uh, when I was in Japan I uh, worked for not only the company that I was uh, in India I, I kind of went to their Japan office and I started mm. helping them out uh, but then later on I switched to an, a more technical role um, you know at a school at a high school American school in Japan um, and then I, you know, uh, had my my kid and, you know, took a break from work. Um, and then I uh, kind of delved in uh, a little bit of uh, entrepreneurship. I started running my own business. I had um, an Etsy store. Yes, in Japan. Oh. While I was in Japan, I, I started my Etsy business um, uh, selling jewelry. Uh, it was like... Um, kind of one of a kind jewelry and uh, I realized that gosh um, it's not enough just to create a listing and people are not going to flock to that listing so I had to teach myself a whole lot of stuff like marketing advertising so I I learned Facebook ads Google ads um, you know blogging YouTubing all of that stuff So, Uh, so Etsy in the United States or is there an Etsy in Japan no, the, there's an Etsy in the United States, but I was selling on the U.S. market from Japan. So I was producing my stuff wow. there, but I was shipping it worldwide wherever there were shoppers. But, you know, of oh. course, shipping costs are, are exorbitant, yeah. you know, selling sending stuff from Japan. It's very expensive. Um, yeah. So mostly was attracted to the data side of things. Um, yes, I have both left and right brains because uh, the creative side was just all my creations, the jewelry that I made. But then I, I needed the data science side of things to kind of round things off and make make money out of my business, you know, because everything we do here is based on data. And I know Helium sure. 10 is a data company, so is PPC Ninja. And like, we're where we might think that we're in the business of selling goods, but actually we're in the business of leveraging data right so that's why it was so important for me to to get that uh knowledge and uh, and make sure that i'm um kind of ready to go with my own uh endeavors now so etsy was kind of like your first online marketplace now did you ever end up selling on amazon or did you go straight into 
you know, uh, you know, software and consulting, uh, et cetera? Yeah. So I've never sold on Amazon, but I've helped businesses sell on Amazon. So it's, it's basically the data side of things. So I, I, I only sold on Etsy. Uh, I sold on my own uh, website for a bit, but then I, I have never sold on Amazon myself. Uh, but BBC is where I'm uh, focused on. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Now, um, you know, you talked about, you know, having an analytical mind and that that's kind of like, you know, what you're, uh, you know, what you're known for, you know, when you've spoken at, at events like Billion Dollar Seller Summit and, and others is especially in the last couple of years, um, you know, you're one of the go-to people when, uh, as far as ha- uh, AI and things like that. Now me, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit behind. Like I don't, you know, I, I, I use, you know, even on this podcast, you know, we, we use like AI to generate, you know, like title uh, options and, and, and um, transcripts and, and things like that. But I would say like, like I'm not, one of those like all you know full full force ahead like hey AI is is, is going to you know replace you know hours and hours of work I, I haven't really adopted to that effect mm-hmm. so the, the the typical Amazon seller what are some things that you know you don't have to be a seven eight nine figure seller but but just like any Amazon seller if they have not started utilizing AI to help them in their their operations or business what are let's let's take it to that spectrum first what are some things that you think that that any amazon seller could benefit by utilizing ai yeah, there's so much. Um, actually, the magic happens when you start combining things. So AI by itself may not uh, be the be all and all of things because, you know, it's not going to uh, operate in a silo. You've got to combine it with um, other, um, you know, pieces of data that you have access to. Like, for example, just this morning, uh, I was preparing for a new product launch for one of our clients and I'd got all my kind of data from Helium 10 uh, and I was at the stage where I have to kind of come up with um, some keywords for broad match, uh, you know, campaigns. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, all the right keywords are in there, not just the long tail uh, ones with high search volume, but I wanted to make sure that I'm capturing all the seed combinations of important words that make sense. So what I did was I exported uh, the Helium 10 um cerebral analysis and I fed it to uh, ChatGPT and asked it to come up with uh, two word and three word combination or combinations of uh, seed keywords that would perfectly describe this product. Now, what I'm going to do next with that is basically um, convert that into broad match modifiers, which basically means you add a plus sign in front of all the seeds. Um, and then I'm going to create campaigns with it, right? So that's something that um, I do at every launch. Like uh, it's it's not. Uh, I generally don't skip that step. You know, it's it's an important one for me. So in addition to all the long tail keywords, I will come up with uh, enough seed words that w- would will run at a slightly lower bid, uh, but will be like a discovery campaign for me uh, through through the broad match modifier um, uh, channel. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of one thing that I do. Uh, then like yesterday, I was doing another one for another client where we have uh, a list of keywords that we discovered from the search query performance report, which is kind of this new, very valuable piece of data that Amazon is giving us these days. So from there, I was able to come up, come up with um, a structure for sponsored brand headline ads. And I didn't have to do the work. I just fed that entire list to ChatGPT and said, hey, organize this into groups of very related words and then give me a 
uh, a headline uh, ad, which is less than 50 characters, because that's the amount Amazon will give us. Um, and then it did that for me. Uh, I also gave it one other important instruction, which is to make sure that one of the keywords or a very close variant of that keyword in the group must be included in the title. And that's basically my way of saying, hey, I want this to be a lower funnel ad, not a generic kind of upper funnel ad, because my sponsored brand ads tend to be more focused on ROAS rather than uh, you know brand discovery and brand awareness. Uh, so those are some of the ways that I'm using it almost on a daily basis. I had switched to ChatGPT Plus a long time ago. I've been paying for it and it's totally worth it. You know, So there's- How, how much things- is it? Um- uh, um, for somebody to subscribe to that. Yeah, it's about $20 a month. It's not much at oh, all. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. just $20. And what it gives you is, you know, all the beta features, all the new stuff. So right now you can actually uh, upload uh, files very easily. You can upload any kind of file to um almost any kind of file to ChatGPT and then ask it to analyze uh, analyze the file and then you can ask it a bunch of questions. So it's just made life so much easier. Uh, and I mean, I think sky's the limit uh, with what you can do with AI. It's like, I always, always feel like I'm not using it enough, even though I'm using it probably quite a bit, um, uh, more than a lot of people, but, but I still feel, gosh, I need to use it more. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, so there's some, the ways that you can, um, use it in, in, uh, PPC. Now I remember you presented something I, I've seen you speak, you know, various times, but I don't remember which event this was. It was that it might have been a billion dollars, but um, where where you do you were doing like translation, yes. using like Helium Ten because like you were you were doing research, it you know, you, you weren't translating the English keywords. That, that's obviously a big mistake that some sellers make. Hey, I've got my Amazon USA listing. Let me just translate it. Um, or let me just translate the keywords. No, you need to do the research in that marketplace. So you switch Helium 10 to Amazon, um, you know, Germany, for example. But if you're not a German speaker, you just see all this Deutsch keywords and you don't really know what it means. Uh, or so they're doing it in Amazon Japan and they're not, they don't speak Japanese like you. So so they might not know. So, so what's your, um, I'm not sure if it was AI or just something in Google you were doing to kind of like uh, make that process a little bit easier. Yeah, so what we've done is we have integrated ChatGPT right into Google Sheets, and uh, we had to write a little bit of code for that. Uh, But once we did that, what's happened is that we have these uh, ready-to-go sheets where we um, simply change the prompt and add a bunch of keywords, and then it will just translate into whatever language, right? So, And I've noticed that um, any translation done by ChatGPT is way better than Google Translate. Uh, and I've tested it, uh, especially in Japanese, because uh, I, I can read it. Uh, I know that the quality is much better. Just to give you an example, uh, you know, ChatGPT will use the right combinations of uh, kanji and hiragana, whereas Google Translate will not. Uh, it just doesn't do a great job. And if I tell ChatGPT to give me uh, a translation in all four different scripts, that's um, kanji as well as hiragana, katakana, and the romaji, it will give all those to me. Um, it, it, it's a no-brainer to use ChatGPT for that sort of thing rather than Google Translate. Uh, and then other languages as well. Like we're just onboarding this client that has uh, four markets and we have no uh, speakers of those languages on our team. But with ChatGPT, we can simply... Um, include that into our SOPs, into our workflows, and just use those sheets to kind of uh, get the final product out. So 
It's really great, uh, the combination of Helium 10 uh, and ChatGPT workflows. Uh, they work really well for us. Okay, cool. Now, uh, going back a little bit, uh, just remember you, you were talking about broad match uh, you know, mo modifiers. Yeah. Um, there, there might be people out there who do, don't know what uh, what that means. Can you, can, you, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so a broad match modifier is a type of broad match. So when you're setting your ad up, it'll still be a broad match. However, by simply adding a plus sign before every part of the keyword, which means if it's a two-word keyword, then both the parts will have a plus sign in front of them. Um, what you're going to ensure is that the buyer search must include those words in exactly that format in order for that match to happen, right? So this uh, eliminates any kind of kind of um, synonyms or related words that Amazon might try, try to kind of connect to, which you don't think uh, need to be there, right? So uh, at this point, Amazon is even replacing exact matches with... Yeah you know, weird sort of uh, words that it thinks are similar. Uh, so we don't want that because we've done all of the research to find out which exact version of that keyword is giving us the highest search volume. So we want to stick to it. In order to make that happen, we're actually finding ourselves doing more and more work with broad match modifiers because all the other match types are being weird uh, anymore. Like exact matches sure. are not behaving like exact matches. Same thing with phrase match. And broad match anyway always was a bit too broad and it was always kind of giving you all kinds of weird matches uh, for sponsored brands. But then it started doing the same thing for sponsored products as well. And that makes it a little challenging. You know, it can be wasteful. So yeah, broad match modifiers is a great way of making sure that um, your, your, your matches are clean uh, and that they don't uh, bring in kind of extraneous, superfluous words that you shouldn't be targeting. Do you use that 100% of the time when, you're, when you have a broad yes. uh, campaign? So you always I'm, have, I'm you know, if it's a three-word phrase, you'll put uh, the plus in between each of the... Yes, 100% uh, of the time. Oh. We've been doing it for the past two years and we actually f future proofed ourselves uh, because we knew this was coming. Um, it's kind of like uh, Amazon always follows Google. Uh, so we, we knew this was coming because Google introduced broad match modifiers first. Now they've already sunsetted. So I don't know where this is going to end up for Amazon because um, what I've heard, and I don't want to just speculate, but what I've heard people say is that, you know, Amazon might be moving toward a um, a future where there aren't any match types. There's only a word, there's only a keyword, and then it figures out how to match mm -hmm. it the best way. Now, it, it, it's plausible, especially in this AI world, it's plausible that that might happen. Uh, but in the interim, um, you know, I'm betting on broad match modifiers. And exact match, of course, um, we can't do much about the fact that Amazon isn't uh, treating exact matches the way they, sh they ought to be treated. Yeah. Uh, but that's the best we have right now. So what would the difference be between using broad or doing broad uh, target with uh, modifiers compared to phrase for the same, um, the same, you know, like coffin shelf? Like, so if I do coffin plus shelf in broad or coffin shelf in phrase, what's the difference in, in, in the potential, uh, you know, showings of that keyword? Yeah, no, I think uh, the showings of that keyword might totally depend on the, the bids, uh, mm -hmm. and they might also depend on relevancy. So it's very hard to predict 
which of the three matchups are going to win. You know, that's been a struggle. Uh, I mean, you can't really say if you put coffin, sh- uh, what, what was it again? Coffin shelf? Yeah, coffin shelf. Uh-huh. Yeah, if you say coffin shelf broad, coffin shelf phrase and say mm-hmm. coffin shelf exact, yeah. uh, what we would want it to do and what would be logical is that if I had a higher bid for exact match, then, you know, all the searches should come and match through exact match. Uh, but that's not yeah. always the case. Uh, you know, we've seen so much variability there. It also depends on which campaign, uh, you know, starts out those keywords. Uh, and then each campaign has its own story, its own history, because let's say you combine that keyword with a bunch of other keywords. And let's say those other keywords got a majority of the early data points, like it started hitting some other words, coffin, long tail words, before it hit your coffin shelf word, then what happens is that this word starts getting starved of impressions, the other words start to take dominance. And these words that get starved of impression, give you the false impression that they're not working. Whereas it's just a matter of how things started off, like what were the set of searches on that day, on that very moment that Amazon decided to match. And then it's going to just take its cues from whatever little data it has in the beginning, because that's all it has to play off of. And then it just keeps giving more and more and more impressions to the early data points and everything else just gets ignored. You know, so it's like a game, like (laughs) PPC is a game that, you know, you've got to be able, you've got to be willing to keep playing, trying different things, different ways, moving things, you know, trying it in a different match type, in a different campaign, restarting, stopping, all of that, you know. Okay. Now, you know, like, for example, if I just do, you know, going to this same example, you know, coffin shelf, no modifier and broad, you know, um, yeah, nowadays, you know, something crazy can come up with like, you know, spooky decor, you know, potentially could even come up, yeah. you know, not even <laughs> including the word, but sure. ones that are traditional would be like, um, you know, coffin shelves for, for men, coffin shelves for women, but then also it could be coffin shaped shelf, like it could insert a word or shelf shape like a coffin, you know, like changing the, yeah. the, the, the order. But if I put that modifier in there, does that force it in your experience to be only longer tail? Like it's coffin shelf has to be in there as a phrase. Uh, and then it's only putting words at the beginning or the end, or still it, it could switch it up a little bit. Yeah, it will switch it up. So coffin shelf could be shelf coffin even, mm, uh, as okay. long as the word shelf and the word coffin both exist in the match. Perfect. It will match. Yeah. Okay. Going back to um, Helium 10. Now, uh, I was looking, I, I, I did it. I still haven't seen your replay of your presentation you did for uh, Helium 10 Elite uh, a few months back, but I was looking at your 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 slides and there was something that um, you were talking about magnet and seed keywords. And just by looking at the slide, I couldn't tell I couldn't tell what, what, what yeah. the strategy was. So can you explain what, what are you doing? I'm not sure if this has to do with ChatGPT or but just how are you using yeah. Magnet in a unique way? Yeah, so what I do is um, basically I start off my keyword research uh, by looking at audiences, like who is the right target audience for a product, right? So that's my first step. Now, the audience list will uh, help me figure out what words these people use. So if it's a garlic press, and let's say there's five different types of people, uh, there could be just regular straight up chefs, there could be um, restaurant owners, there could be uh, whatever. So there's like five or six different uh, types of people who might 
use a garlic press. Now I asked ChatGPT to tell me all the words that these audiences or avatars are likely to use when they search on Amazon. So I'm actually starting from a suggestion of a, of a seed keyword. Uh, that's my starting point. Um, and then I uh, use those seed keywords that ChatGPT generates to go and dump that into Magnet. Uh, and then I use the um, uh, the expand uh, option, the second one, not the, the first one. And mm-hmm. that basically gives me all of the keywords uh, and their search volumes. Uh, and that's what I need. Basically, I want to... F- uh, kind of run it by search volume information to figure out if it is really a word that I should be going after. Now, I don't always come up with uh, those words, probably because the search volume is too low, in which case I don't need to worry about it. Sure. Uh, but I can still use that information as broad match modifiers to just generate some sort of um, discovery. You know, So like, um, for example, uh, eco-friendly, I don't know if there's uh, any sort of garlic press that's eco-friendly, but let's say someone in that audience wants an eco-friendly garlic press um, made out of bamboo or whatever, uh, I, I will still create um, you know, broad match modifiers that have those important words in that uh, combination so that I can at least start to uh, do some keyword research um, through, through an ad rather than through existing search volume data. Okay, cool. Um, switching gears from keywords now to images. I I know you've talked about you know Midjourney, uh, Canva. Have you played around at all with the new Amazon one that they yes. made, kind of for sponsored brands? And then if so, like what's your result? I like I've had very different. Like like some of it are absolutely terrible, but then I know that part of it's because I don't really know how to prompt. I'm I'm not very good at uh, at prompting. But but uh, what's your experience with the new Amazon AI uh, image generator for sponsored brand ads? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's not bad for someone who's really struggling with um, image creation in general, but it's it's not really usable um, for every case, right? In some cases, it's going to be hard to, to come up with the perfect background uh, for your image. The other trouble I have with it is that the the product image is too small uh, on mm. on the the canvas and uh, that's not how I like my sponsored brand headline ads uh, generally this is a, a tip actually uh, for our listeners um, you know when when you create a sponsored brand uh, lifestyle photo uh, the biggest mistake people make is that they they fully capture the lifestyle setting in which that product is being used but then the product itself is so tiny that's a big mistake. That's that shouldn't be the way, right? The, the 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 way to do it is to have the product front and center. It has to be yeah. like blown up right in the middle. And then you could maybe suggest what the background is. You know, you might just use suggestive creatives rather than uh, have it in, you know, absolute terms, like it's being used uh, to kind of yeah in in the setting that it's being uh, suggested so for that reason i generally like to um request for zoomed up, zoomed in uh highly close up uh type of uh, images so that we can have better conversion rates um and there's a story that i just want to share here real quick uh sure. we had one client with a uh with a dog product and the product the product was being used on a dog that was sitting um in the lap of a woman uh, on a sofa, and then there's a living room in the background. So you can imagine the size of the product. It's like so small, you can't <laughs> see it, right? Yeah. Uh, so then what we said uh, to this client was, give us, give us a zoomed-in image. So then they zoomed right in. So all we see now is the paw, uh, and we see 
you know, the product, right? So it completely changed the metrics for, for that, uh, for that um, ad. And then we started using that particular image for many other uh, of their sponsored brand headline ads. And then rest is history. They really started growing after that. Uh, but the point is that close-up images are more important than uh, pretty images, right? So pretty images, any anyone can create pretty images. You want to make them highly converting images. Uh, and for that reason, I might not use uh, the Amazon's um, uh, AI-generated images right away unless they become better, unless they can uh, kind of keep the product as the hero, right? It needs to be front and center. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out any prompt that can help me get to that stage, but I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll keep testing. I, I'm not I'm not sure yet. Yeah. So then, what um you know outside of Amazon, then you know, like I said, I know you're using like Midjourney, which is another one that't not too expensive, isn't it like like ten bucks a month or something like that to use yeah. Midjourney or yeah. So then, what what if somebody is like, all right, you you told us what what some basic stuff that people how ChatGPT you know for twenty bucks a month can can help Amazon sellers. What is uh, something that any Amazon sellers of any level can use Midjourney uh, for? That that's kind of simple and and definitely adds um you know value. Yeah, I think Midjourney is definitely the leader, uh, and if you can uh, learn to use it, there's nothing like it uh, yet. Uh, but you know, even straight up ChatGPT is now getting pretty good with images, so you can describe whatever you want, and then it is connected to Dolly in the back. Uh, and then it generates those images and gives them back to you right in your chat GPT prompt, right? So if you have the paid version, uh, then you can start testing that as well. Okay. So let's say I've got, all right, I've got a, a pretty nice image. Uh, you know, maybe it's a white background image or something of my, of my product. Um, would the, you know, the first thing I should do with, you know, experimenting with, 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 uh, AI and, and mid journey and things, would it be, making an infographic? Uh, would it be trying to make a lifestyle? Like I, I remember in the early days of, of AI, like it was, you, you can never put a human being in, in, yeah. in, in there because they would have like 17 fingers and just <laughs> crazy faces and stuff yes. like that. But, but like, what, what should I do then? What kind of images, uh, or, or is it not really don't use it for, for your main images, but use it for like the sponsored brand and, and, you yeah. know, uh, sponsor display, things like that. Yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, I think we need to think of images as layers, just like we think of layers in Photoshop, right? There's layers like a background layer. So if you want just the ambience, the mood, the, the background, you generate that layer independent of anything else. Uh, that's one way of going about it. And then you layer in your product. You have your um, kind of uh, no background product, then you can always place it right in the middle, uh, do, do those sorts of things. So it'll probably be a two or three step process where you think of each layer separately. Uh, even the humans, you could bring uh, humans in from a different source. You can get humans from there, you can get your backdrop from somewhere else, and then you can get your product from your own product images and put them together. That would probably give you the best results. Uh, but if you try it to have mid-journey do all of that, you might, you know, experience uh, some failures there or some surprises with, like you said, 17 fingers and stuff. Now, mid-journey, uh, the latest versions of it are getting better and better. So it's very human-like and it uh, it doesn't appear awkward. The face facial expressions aren't awkward anymore. Uh, so that's good news. Um, so it just means that we're going in the right direction. It's only going to get better from here. So I would think of... Um, layering as one concept and then of course uh where you want to apply it uh is another thing uh infographics uh, i don't think 
ChatGPT or even MidJourney would be good for infographic other than just generating the background for it, you know, because text, uh, it still doesn't do a good job with text. Uh, you'll have to use uh, some of your other tools for text. So again, it's layering, combining tools and coming up with uh, the concept. Um, so yeah, those are some of the ways in which uh, you can uh, use images. Now, posts is another interesting one. Uh, a lot of people are using uh, MidJourney for generating posts. And that's uh, a good way of generating lots of post uh, mm -hmm. content because uh, Amazon doesn't allow you to repeat an image twice. Uh, yep. So uh, what you can do is you can have... Um, uh, Dolly or even Canva. I've used Canva AI, which is different from Canva normal. Uh, I can explain the difference. But uh, anyway, so Canva AI uh, can generate based on your uh, description of what kind of backgrounds you want. And then you just slap in your photo, your kind of hero image on top of it. And there you have your post. It takes barely any time to create like 20 different posts. Uh, and most people don't realize this, but posts are free advertising. Mm -hmm. uh, I would highly recommend, uh, you know, generating posts on a regular basis and take I've seen them more in search results lately too. Yes, like it's, exactly. it's one of those widgets that, that comes up that never happened like, you know, six months ago or something, but, but, yes. but now it's right there on page one, you know, uh, so it's important to do. I agree. All right. So earlier you talked about search query performance. You know, I love, I love uh, search query performance myself. It's just like, it's stuff that three, four years ago, we, we would have, I would have bet a million dollars that Amazon would never release this kind of data yes. to, the, to the, to the public. And Amazon yeah. definitely has come a long way. Uh, what are some other ways that you're using search query performance, you know, analyzing the data that, that Amazon gives? Yeah. So, uh, you know, search query performance, uh, like you said, it's unbelievable that Amazon is actually sharing this information out. Uh, so it's really up to us to take advantage of it uh, as soon as possible. Like almost uh, feel like time is of essence here because, you know, everybody's going to have access. Everybody has access to that information. But right now, most people are in the state of overwhelm. <laughs> They're like, oh, I have this great data, but I don't know what to do with it. Right. So most people are stuck at that stage. But if you want to take the next step, then I would suggest uh, start downloading those reports right away because uh, these things uh, also get lost um amazon you know discontinues things that you think they're going to be giving us forever and forever for example the um brand analytics um data that used to be you know i don't know millions of rows has suddenly been compressed to just 10,000 and so on so i mean there's a a, a loss there that uh, cannot be re replaced so i would say number one uh, start downloading your uh, at least your monthly data uh, at the asin level uh, and then stitching all that data together. Um, and by stitching, I mean um, uh, maybe putting it into a data warehouse. Uh, we use BigQuery uh, in order to kind of bring data in. Uh, and uh, the way to stitch it is by making sure that uh, your reports have um, some extra columns, like uh, the date column has to be there. Uh, then you have to make sure that you have the uh, brand name in it. Uh, and you want to make sure that your market is in this uh, so that when you stitch all that information together, then you can use a single report like a Looker Studio uh, to, to dip into the data warehouse. And you can basically uh, use uh, switch filters to switch between your different markets. So if you plan your data strategy well, then you will be able to use it more efficiently than just using it in a throwaway style, which most people do, right? Most people... Mm -hmm go download a report, they look at it, they stare at it, and they're like, oh, okay, whatever, done. I mean, and it's thrown away. Uh, you don't want that. You want a system. Yeah. You want a system for, you need an ecosystem for managing your data so that you can uh, look at those 
uh, from time to time. You get a month over month review. You get a month over month trend. Uh, you can see um, if anything has lost its search volume over time. It's so easy to, to check that at a search term level once you have stitched all that information together and is uh, available in uh, maybe something like a Looker Studio. How about something that's good? You know, it's important to understand the, you know, like, how to get started and, and not just like, all right, let me, let me just look at search query performance or this data just, you know, in, in the UI on, on Amazon, but then what's the next step? Now I've got everything in my data warehouse and, and stuff like, for example, me, one of the things I like to look at in search query performance is comparing the conversion rate by the keyword uh, for, for just the overall niche compared to my own, you know, my own conversion yes. rate. But, you know, I think that's probably one of the most no brainer things. What are some other maybe not so common things that you're looking at when, when you yeah. get all of that data into your, mm -hmm. your data warehouse and, and start, you know, start looking yes. up stuff? Yeah. So one of the things that I find really interesting is the average price per search term. So this is, uh, you know, Amazon gives you the average price and that basically is a good indication of whether that search term is going for cheaper products or is it going for slightly um, more expensive products. Uh, just to give you an example, let's say you have uh, the word lotion, right? Now you have a $50 lotion by L'Oreal maybe uh, and you have a $5 uh, drugstore brand uh same thing selling lotion but if you're going after if you're looking at the search term uh, lotion whatever daily lotion or whatever uh, and if you see that the average price for that search term is going at six dollars let's say uh, so that that's the average price of the product being sold that is telling me that uh, no matter what I do to compete on that uh, on that search term, it's going to be hard because I'm going to be yeah. competing with lots and lots of cheaper brands. So we actually have filters on our search terms or search query uh, reports so that we uh, only look at those searches that are in the ballpark of our product's price point. Uh, that basically eliminates a lot of the noise because otherwise you might be led into thinking that, gosh, this is a great keyword and then you spend lots of money on it and ends up being a high cost sure. scenario. You don't want that. So uh, you look at both both of the things, one that you mentioned, which is, uh, which, which is what we call strength, uh, keyword strength, which is determined as a, uh, a ratio of purchase share and impression share. Um, if you can get mm -hmm. that uh, ratio to be above one, uh, then that's a good uh, keyword that is strong, inherently strong, because you're you're winning more of the purchase share than you're winning of the market, right? Which which basically puts it in a good spot. Um, and then the the second one would be the filter on uh, price. Uh, the third filter I would put is uh, search volume, because again, we don't want noisy. Uh, you know, insignificant terms to distract us. Uh, and I think the fourth filter I would put there is data sufficiency, like how many sales have, have you had uh, for that keyword uh, over that period of time? So uh, yeah, those would be the four uh, filters to kind of get everything else out. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, um, that, that, that would be our way of uh, figuring out which search terms are good. Um, then the other uh, use cases of that would be to stitch that data with your uh, add data. Uh, so when you stitch those two together, you can find gaps uh, on a kind of uh, in, in a systematic sort of way, not just like a one-off throwaway kind of way uh, where it's always being merged and it's always coming together. And you can always see these are the ones that I'm not uh, advertising yet. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I, th I think those were the uh, 
the two main ones. Uh, the third slightly more advanced one is when you want to figure out if a search term is good for product A, product B, product C, product D of your catalog, because they might be sharing those keywords, you know, then you can mm-hmm. see relative strength across uh, your different products and see mm. where you want to channel your information. Uh, now that comes with a caveat. Uh, and that caveat is that there's a very high halo sales ratio on Amazon, uh, which means you might be directing traffic to one uh, of your product uh, variations and something else is actually you know, get, getting picked up eventually. So you need to know all those pieces in order to make the right decision. And essentially in terms of using, using your... Um, uh, your traffic source as a fire hose, literally, and saying, okay, I want to direct it to this product and not to this product. Unless you know what the halo sales are, uh, you, could, you could be off. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah. Well, really great stuff. Now, before we get into your last strategy, you know, maybe it could be a PPC strategy since that's your uh, specialty. Uh, how can people reach out to you if they, uh, you know, how can they find you on the interwebs if they want to, you know, get, get some help uh, with some of the stuff that you've been talking about today? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active there. So just look up my full name, R-I-T-U-J-A-V-A. And you should be able to find me there. Just uh, say hi, uh, and I'll be happy to help. Um, Yeah. Uh, And uh, other ways, you can just reach out um, through our website, uh, ppsininja.com, or anywhere else you see me. Awesome, awesome. Now, we have something that uh, we do on our show. We we call it the the 30-second tip. So, you know, you, you've been giving us lots of great tips and strategies, but what's like a hard hitting one you can give us in 30 seconds or, or 60 seconds or less? I'm not going to cut you off. Go ahead. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, we're all sitting on tons and tons of data and we don't know how to use it. Uh, I would suggest start thinking of strategies to use your data by connecting them up. Uh, Every piece of data that we get from Amazon or other sources, whether it's keyword rank tracking or search volume data or your ads data or organic data, also, you know, competitor data and stuff like that, it's in different uh, locations. It's hiding behind wall gardens and stuff like that. You want to figure out a system to bring it all together. And I would recommend using a, a data warehousing strategy to start bringing everything together so that you can start looking at it holistically. So I would recommend start to think of simple ways in which you can convert your snapshot data into time series. That that would be my advice. And time series is basically, uh, for people to, who don't understand that, it's basically assigning dates to all your downloads. Uh, if you're downloading a business report, make sure you add a column and put the date there so that that becomes a way of identifying when that event happened, when you're connecting so many pieces of data together. Awesome, awesome. Well, Thank you so much for your time. This was uh, really awesome. Awesome. And we'll definitely be having you uh, back on the show sometime next year to get your latest strategies. Awesome. We'll look forward to that. Take care, Bradley. Have a good one.